Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director at the Hendricks Center here at DTS. And I'm Casey Olander, and I'm the Web Content Specialist here at the Hendricks Center. And today, we are going to be talking about Harry Potter and the values of the kingdom. (laughs) So um, it's our attempt to just kind of walk through the Harry Potter stories and the books and to a degree some of the movies and just really intentionally reflect on it because it is a cultural phenomenon that comes on every single year, at least during October. So it comes up in our society each year. So we thought it would be helpful to reflect on it and really consider if there's anything good or true or beautiful about it, or even looking at the the passage, you know, the Bible passage, anything true, good, noble, ex- excellent, or praiseworthy. So we are joined by our esteemed colleague, John Adair, who's the Associate Professor of Theological Studies here at DTS, to help us decide if Harry Potter does offer any of that. Thank you for being here today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. And then I just want to say the most obvious thing ever, but there's a bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, the books have been around for 20 years, so if you have not read them or watched the movies, we would presume that you don't care, and you're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> but on the off chance that you are, and you are interested, we will be spoiling the whole story, so stop now. Here we go. <laughs> So we thought we would start off today by talking about how each of us began reflecting in this area of Harry Potter and then also theologically, are there um, any connections there? So John, I thought we would start with you. How did you begin reflecting? Sure. Yeah. I So I was um, introduced to the books a long time ago when they were starting to come out and uh, began to read and reflect. Um, I, I've always been a theologian at heart and so was always interested in those kinds of elements and have always been interested in those kind of elements, uh, certainly in my adult life, as I've read. And so anytime I pick up anything, even if it's a fun read like Harry Potter, I'm always interested in thinking about what's going on here. Is this saying anything about uh, our world and um, you know what's good and what's not good? And uh, uh, what should we be pursuing and what should we be about? And so I uh, was certainly brought into that. And, and then as I've had children and been reading the books to them, uh, getting to reflect on that again uh, as I've gone through the books, uh, you know, other times uh, after my first read, and being able to think about what this means for them, you know, and how they're going to be raised and what they're going to be thinking about. So that's kind of the the origin story, I guess. For me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Kim? So I, you know, I grew up hearing about them because I I think my generation is the generation that they actually came out for you know I was 10 when they were really excited that 10 year olds were reading big books and (laughs) all of that but for whatever reason I I, whether it was my parents didn't think that we should be reading it or I'm, I'm not exactly sure I never really encountered them or read them or did anything until college And I was wandering around the library, just taking a study break, and I found uh, the whole series on a shelf. And I was like, well, that'd be kind of fun. And so so I think I got three or four of them (laughs) at one time. And I ended up 
reading them almost nonstop <laughs> for like the next like week, wow. you know, like, because I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, I would stay up until like two o'clock in the morning reading, you know, I think I remember I was up at two o'clock reading the fourth book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that point, but I even just kind of thought that it was fun and it wasn't until seminary and a particular conversation that I had with a friend, we were sitting in the middle of a tree in Ethiopia so there you go. Um, and we were hanging out on a trip that we were on. And she was a big Harry Potter fan. And I told her that I'd read the books a couple times. And and so we really started, like, talking through it, you know, and talking, like, chewing on the story and the theological implications mm-hmm. of it and that kind of thing at that point. What about yeah. you, Casey? Yeah, so I uh, somewhere between the release of the fourth and the fifth book is when I really jumped on the bandwagon. So I was reading it as a child, um, you know, not from really a theologian's perspective. And um, so I uh, found out about about the books. I think someone gave my family one as a gift or something. And so I read the first one and then checked out the remaining ones from the library. And uh, my dad read them all with me and such that, you know, by the time the fifth one came out, we were at the midnight release of the fifth and sixth (laughs) and seventh books. So um, did you dress up? No, I didn't. I'm proud to say, (sighs) honestly, (laughs) we were in line at midnight. So there's that. uh, But no, just my regular muggle clothes. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice Easter egg there. <laughs> okay, so I think before we go any further, we do need to talk about the tension that the church, at least the American church, experienced when they first came out. And it, because it can still definitely be in people's minds and a question, especially when, especially when you're talking about raising kids and, yeah. you know, letting them read it. Uh, is it okay? for Christians to read Harry Potter. Obviously, all three of us just admitted to doing it, so that tips our hand a little bit. But um, how, more than anything, I guess, so maybe not as much like, is it okay, but how do we respond? How do we think through somebody asking or expressing concern, really, over exposing our minds and our spirituality to a world uh, that involves magic and that kind of thing? Casey, what would you say? Well, um, I think we'll get into this a little bit later, but um, as I mentioned, I mean, I was reading it from a a child's perspective, and I think, um, at least for me, when I got a little bit older, I was realizing the value of being discerning in anything that we consume, if it's books or movies or media and and things like that. And so I think that there's definitely, obviously, each person has to um, follow their own convictions, um, but two, we... um, I think, consider the ways in which the elements are used. Um, so it, it's not a how-to book about witchcraft. It's, um, I think, very clearly a uh, yeah fantasy story in children's literature and things like that. And um, so I think that um, maybe the tone with which the topics are addressed makes uh, a difference as well as the, the genre and the audience and things like that. But uh, John, what would you say? Yeah, I think I love what you've said there. And I think I, I definitely agree. I think as a parent reading it with my kids was kind of where I was, I never really considered it much, even as a 20 something year old, as I was reading through the series the first time, because I kind of have the perspective of I'm the Christian here and I'm, I love the Lord and I'm interested in being faithful to him. And so whatever I encounter, I'm always, you know, thinking about what that thing is and trying to, to process what kind of impact that might be having on me. But really thinking about it from the perspective of a child, 
when I was reading it to my kids. And I, I, I just never got the sense that they thought it was anything other than a fantasy story, right? And so even as you said, Casey, it's not a how-to book. And there was never a time where it's like they actually, outside of the childish, you know, fantastical nature of a childish mind where, you know, kids think all kinds of things are real, you know, <laughs> monsters under beds and things like this, you know. But outside of anything like that, there was never any sense, I never had any sense that my kids were like, oh, they're dabbling now in mm-hmm. sorcery or whatever, which of course would be bad if that was mm-hmm. happening, right? I, I'm not interested in that. Yes, we just want to be very clear that we all recognize that <laughs> witchcraft is a very real thing <laughs> right. and is something that Christians are to stay away from and right. not participate in. That's right. So, yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, as I kept, ta- you, I keep tabs on those things, you know, in my own heart, in the hearts of my children. And, um, uh, and I think as long as we're doing that, um, we have the ability to uh, at least interact with a wide variety of, of media in the world um, and see what's out there. Are there true things? Are there good things? Mm-hmm. Are there beautiful things? Yeah, I think one thing that struck me, it, and even from the very beginning when I read it, because I, I even, you know, as a college student, I was like, well, you know, is this okay for me to read? Mm. <laughs> that kind of thing. And And what struck me as I was reading it was this specific story. So I'm not talking about all stories with magic, but this specific story, I was struck by the fact that magic was an inherent part of their reality, and there was no particular source of the magic. Does that, like, so I always found that, I don't know, a helpful distinction from our reality because where when we're really talking about true witchcraft like we really tend to I'm, I yeah we tend to believe and look at that kind of witchcraft as having a source in the evil one and right. in demons and that the dark part of the world right. <laughs> uh, the dark parts of the um, spiritual world and so whereas this would just has a completely different approach to magic in a way that just isn't really comparable. It's just, it's not one for one enough to be like, oh no, we should just completely avoid it. But that being said, I'm a big, I love fantasy books and sci-fi books. And so there have been other books that I have read that have magic involved in them that as I've read them, I stop at the first book in the series or I stop halfway through the book because I think this is not true and noble and praiseworthy. Mm. Like this is this is dark and this is scary and I don't want to put this in my mind and Mm. I don't want, I don't want to go here. So I do think that there's a place for that question. I don't think it's lame for people to be asking that question. I think that that is a responsible Christian approach to anything. Like we've said, any kind of literature or anything that you're consuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a good segue into thinking like, this is really a bigger question. So I wonder, um, do we have some maybe helpful like frameworks to give people or things to to think through when we think about um, how should Christians approach art and literature? Yeah. I know for me, I, I want to always do this from a place of settledness about where I am coming from, right? And so I know who I am and I know the community that I'm part of. I'm part of a Christian community that loves the Lord Jesus and wants to follow him. And so um, when I'm thinking about uh, pursuing any kind of media, consuming it in any kind of way. Um, I think 
I want, I want to always have that rootedness that I'm starting from that place. Um, and there are lots of approaches that people take to this to try to discern for themselves, you know. Um, and I think we have to be attentive to our own hearts. There are times where, um, you know, certain people are are really uh, deeply impacted by certain kinds of portrayals of things. And I would never want to tell a Christian to, oh, you should just go ahead and do it anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if your heart's very sensitive on certain issues, I think it's wise to to step back and to not participate in that. Um, but I also think this is a it's a personal uh, matter. I think for a lot of people, and the, our hearts are are different and shaped differently, and and we have different sensitivities. And so, you know, I'm I'm attentive to my own um, sensitivities, um, and I would ask other people to do the same uh, from a place of you know Christian love and care for one another. You know. Um, as we're exposing each other to things and sharing things with each other, it's like I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, do I want to suggest this movie to this person? <laughs> you know, those types oh, of yeah. things. Uh, <laughs> I have that conversation with myself yeah. a lot, you know, this book, whatever the case might be, um, just because I'm trying to be sensitive to their approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like that's, um, and it's fine. We, it, yeah. But I, I feel like that's a largely like, looking at the negative side of mm. what Christians engaging, you know, yeah. media and that kind of thing can be. And, and rightfully so, like exploring that right. side. What are, what do you guys see as the positive things that we can gain that, that kind of mandate or encourage us to, you know, walk thoughtfully, but we, we walk thoughtfully because there's something good over here. So what do you, what do you guys think, Though that it offers believers, you know, whether or not it's yeah. actually a Christian, quote unquote, a Christian creation, that there might still be something there. Casey, what do you think? Sure. Yeah, I think that it's, um, I mean, it's good for people to to create things. It, um, I think, reminds us, obviously, we're not creating, you know, ex nihilo from nothing the way that God does, but I think that it, um, yeah, harkens back to our creator who creates, um, and he makes things that are beautiful and, and good. And so I think that um, in some small way, the fact that we are able to be creative reminds us of that. Um, and then two, we're able to, um, I don't want to use the word consume, but we're able to engage with uh, things like art and media and um I think looking for what is valuable and what is um, celebrated in it, whether it's, yeah, like a painting or if it's even a TV show or a comic book or something like that. I think there's um, always uh, maybe some um, lenses with which we can see things that we're on the lookout for. Um, Yeah, what is worth celebrating that uh, reminds us of um, like who God is and the way that he's created things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of, especially with art specifically, I think of um, kind of like an in and in, you know how when you're sitting in front of a sunset, you think, "Man, that's beautiful," and you have you have an experience that is that, that isn't verbal, but you still very much have like a worshipful experience, a thoughtful experience. So, you know, perhaps it makes you think of something. Or, you know, anything beautiful can not just be a sunset, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it makes you think of something different. I feel like art offers that as well. It offers this nonverbal way of expressing truths or perspectives or experiences that other people have had. And then it makes me 
look at something potentially a little differently or have that, you know, encounter, for lack of a better word. And also, um, you know, any kind of verbal art, literature, music, um, film, all of that offers you, how do I want to say it? It it offers you, like, I think largely, like, the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I can see the world from this person's eyes instead of Kim Cook's, you know, Mm -hmm. 30-something mom Christian world eyes. (laughs) I can see it from this other (laughs) one. And that helps... 30-something Kim mom actually live her life as a Christian better because mm-hmm. I have seen it that way. It's like an it's, exercise in empathy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. That was a way more eloquent and succinct way of saying that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> John, is there anything else you would add of like reasons why we want to engage things that might demand a bit of careful walking sure as we engage them yeah i think i mean we're created in the image of god right um and as image bearers we reflect him in everything that we do and so as people who reflect the lord we make things in the world and those things are reflective of the lord so that that which we make is reflective of the maker and and so for me i'm excited always to encounter things that might remind me of the Lord. Um, And so I want to sort of be on that path and be thinking about that. Um, And this happens in so many different venues. I think the other thing about art, too, is that it it takes us into, I mean, you mentioned nonverbal, but I just think this sort of multi-sensory experience that's Mm -hmm. beyond, I think a lot of times we get caught up in a an exchange of words and ideas, you know, where we, mm-hmm. we sit down, even at a table like this, you know, we have a conversation about things, which is really great um, as far as it goes, but it's not the fullness of human experience, right? Um, and so art is one of those things that allows us to kind of have an, a, a, a mechanism to kind of get into that a bit more. And um, there are so many things that happen that are mysterious when we encounter art that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. In my own life, I've had so many experiences like that where something's happening, I'm feeling an emotion or I'm having a sense of something that I didn't expect to have when I sat down or I entered this room and looked at this painting and then here it is and what's going on there, you know? And then you you kind of circle back around and you reflect and who knows where that goes. But I, it's all part of, I think, the human experience and um, participating in the life and the world that God made. Um, and so I wanna do that in all the ways that, that I can. And, and quite frankly, what God made us to do. Yeah. That's a part of what he made us to do. Just That's right. Just inherent in who we are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we have these things to consider as we look at any kind of art, any kind of um, literature. And um, so shifting back specifically to Harry Potter, um, I don't think it's overstating it to say that it's a cultural phenomenon. There are <laughs> theme parks. There's book. It's the best-selling book series of all time. It's sold over 500 million copies around the world. And um, Kim mentioned that you know it was fascinating that children were reading these massive books. You know, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages um, at their longest. And so. Yeah, these movies are making $9 billion, and uh, so I wonder um, if uh, we have any thoughts about what is it about this particular um, series that has made it such a phenomenon? Is that Does that say something about our culture, our society, maybe our human nature, the fact that something about this series has really, really gripped people? Mm-hmm. 
I'll go first. Jump in. <laughs> I mean, what what struck what has struck me is I mean, it's kind of like low hanging fruit, but is the recognition of a supernatural dimension of reality mm. that, and perhaps even a longing for it, mm. of wanting there to be more. You know that maybe if I tap on this wall in a certain way, it'll open up this whole other part of reality that has been going on all of this time and you know believing that there is that there is more than what I can necessarily just see and feel so I think that I think it it reveals at least part of that and even if that's just you know the human like self just wanting something more I'm not sure but I think that does reveal that what about you John I I agree with that and I would just add I'll add this bit to it Part of the the that the fact that the stories are set in, you know, con- modern day city that we know in the world, London and uh, around there, um, makes that I think even more uh, that point more strongly. Right, that it's our world, and we think there's something more going on in this world. There's mm-hmm. something beyond the the everyday humdrum that we're used to. Right, and um, and so. That's a that's a big piece of it. I think the other thing that this story has that is um, maybe in lots of stories, but it taps into something that I think people are very interested in in general, which is grappling with the the mystery and the power of evil in the world and mm. how it uh, seems to be so all encompassing at times and overwhelming at times, and uh, everybody wants to know what to do about that. And so lots of stories deal with this. I mean, stories usually have conflict in them if they're any good. <laughs> and um, and so, but this story is able to sort of tap into that in a almost a kind of transcendent way, right? Where because it's this special power and it because it's beyond our own ability to kind of grapple with it, it connects with something in our own experience as we've wrestled with evil. And so um, I think that is another thing that kind of keeps it rolling. You know, and yeah. keeps those sales coming, I guess. And mm-hmm. even the, and that that evil impacts our modern day world. Right. You know, like, because in the books, there's there's an overlap at certain points between what is happening in the wizarding world and what is happening right. in the muggle world, <laughs> the non-wizard world, the non-magic world. <laughs> um, right. But so, yeah, like even more to your point where it's kind of like, well, that's because, you know, this is going on, that kind of thing. What about you, Casey? What would you say? It seems like there are some common themes that all of us like can identify with, whether that's, oh, I've felt the way that that uh, character feels in their first year at school, you know, and having Mm. a new experience or something like that. Or um, identify with, um, oh, having these really great friendships that provide uh, like a solid foundation when there's all of this you mentioned conflict and turmoil going on and things like that. So I wonder if we we like to see a little bit of ourselves in some of these characters. And, um, yeah, we like the – I mean, frankly, I like that it all wraps up nicely. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I think the setting is really cool, too, just the way they have the school. And it's just mm-hmm. such a cool kind of place, you know, to be in a castle. And there's this sort of old feel to it that is kind of – there's a rootedness to it that I think is uh, probably connecting with people in some way. It connects with me, certainly. Yeah. Um, what? So- you mean because we rebuild our schools every like five years? <laughs> right. There's not a sense of rootedness exactly. <laughs> for children. And yeah, but I mean, being in a castle that for hundreds of years, that's where the wizards are right. trained. And yeah. 
Right, this long tradition, and it goes back so far that they don't even know the origins all the time. They're 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 hazy in the past, you know, but we're still here in this place that was started by these hazy people from the past and what's going on there. And so, I think there's something mysterious that connects people um, and kind of draws them in a bit about that. I think there's also something about kind of the idea of a normal person having a purpose or Mm. a greater purpose Mm. than what it might feel like when you're, you know, getting up either to go to school or to, you know, make your kids toast for them to go to school. (laughs) 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 And, and so the idea that there's this just normal little boy who is something totally, you know, different. And I feel like Harry Potter seems to have really, I mean, I don't want to say it's the first time because there's a lot of literature and I'm sure it's not, but it really seemed to spark a trend of literature, especially young adult literature of, you know, this normal person thinking that they were just, you know, like everybody else and really they're this instead, you know, like all of that. I I mean, you could just go down the list of all of the different series. And so, but I, I think that there's something in us that wants to be more, mm-hmm. you know, and wants to recognize that we have some kind of transcendent purpose or, or something like that, which again, you know, the Christian faith also has an explanation for that feeling and that, re, you know, mm. we have an explanation for why that is attractive to us because we believe right. that it's true, you know, not necessarily that we're all Harry Potter, but <laughs> we believe that each one of us has a purpose mm-hmm. in, a, in a different way than maybe like the modern, more materialistic world would ascribe. Right. So this episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Okay, so let's turn, now that we've kind of talked about what's interesting about it in general, let's turn to the values of the kingdom just in the stories that we see. So we've said, we've been saying, oh, there's good, true, beautiful things. Okay, so what are those good and true and beautiful things that we see in this series specifically that we look and we're like, man, like here is, here is a Christian value here. Here's a kingdom value here. John, you've got first... Thanks. First stab. Um, so I could go a lot of directions with this. I think number, I'll just kind of connect it to something I was just talking about when we talked about the rootedness. There's something that happens to Harry when he uh, gets the letter at the beginning of the mm-hmm. first book, you know, and he discovers this whole new world that he had no idea about before, 
but he also has the privilege of being transported out of his life, which is not just not good, it's abusive, abusive right? Home. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's, it's terrible. And he gets transported out of this and he gets placed into, he gets taken to this castle where he's able to make friends, he's able to discover his purpose like you're talking about. Um, it's, it's, it's as if he's moved into this brand new community of people where his life is now about something and it's for something. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's a connection here, I think, with just life in the church and the Christian community, right? Where we think about ourselves uh, as believers coming into the church, coming into something that's far older than we have any idea of when we come into it. We have no sense of that usually when we enter in. Um, but we come into that community and now are part of this new family and have this purpose that's very uh, 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 clearly defined for us in terms of living for the Lord and um, being conformed to the image of the Son and all these things. And, and so when you see Harry and you see this sort of journey take place, it's not a perfect community. There's all kinds of things that go wrong inside it, you know. Um, but they, there is a very uh, strong and stable and established group um, that are that are around him, and particularly the closer you get, and there's all kinds of growth that takes place through this. There's all kinds of maturity that takes place, and you could say, well, that's because it's the school, yeah. That's, but that's the frame, right? And it's it's I think mirrors what we hope to see and what we look for. Certainly, what I look for in the church. Um, mm. I'm looking for a community like that. I'm looking for people who are devoted to me, and that I can be devoted to. I'm looking for people who are. Um, wanting to fight evil in the world and not um, be uh, beholden to it, you know, all of those things. So, mm, yeah, I think on that note, the the community that Harry is then placed in, I think, fills a lot of voids that he might have experienced in his life. So mm. he grows up an orphan, and he all of a sudden, ha- not all of a sudden, over the course of time, has these mother figures and father figures in like Molly Weasley yeah. and in you know maybe Dumbledore, Sirius. He has these. Um, mentors that uh, are filling in what he's never experienced before. He has Ron and Hermione, who are his best friends, but they become like his family, like his siblings, and they're um, really in this fight against evil. They're all in it together. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of that where the church steps in, um, where things are lacking to to meet needs and to be the body of Christ, brothers and sisters to one another. Right. Like, I, I want to jump on what you said a little bit with regard to not everybody being perfect. I think even more than that, I feel like the story is, or some at least of the storylines are driven by the insistence that people are not perfect. Mm. And, you know, I, as I got to thinking about it in preparation for this, I kind of went through each character and there is at least one substantial flaw for Mm. every person. You know, Hermione is a know-it-all. Ron can be unfeeling and kind of selfish, you know. Um, Harry is, like, quick to play the hero and can have, you know, problems controlling his anger (laughs) (laughs) and that kind of thing, you know. And then you get even a little bit deeper in in the adult world and you have Dolores Umbridge, who is, you know, a... part of the ministry of magic who is kind of supposed at least at the beginning is supposed to be the good guys and then you find out like she's actually very evil like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of darkness in her 
and you know Barty Crouch, who was also a part of the Ministry of Magic, but and but he was so legalistic about all of the rules that he, you mm-hmm. know, was at times just as dark and just as evil as some of the dark wizards. And so I think over and over you see and and just and when I got to thinking about it with regard to children, like it in a good way, I think it implants this idea of like not everybody is good and not, you know, but not everybody is totally bad either. Like there, there is, it's, it's murky. (laughs) And and again, our Christian faith gives us then a structure to explain that even to our kids and to say, yeah, you know, it's because we do, you know, have sin and, you know, we're beholden to that, but not everybody who, you know, comes across as good is necessarily good and you need to be careful and, you know, all of that. So mm-hmm. I think that that was also an interesting thing that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I think they, you do find at moments where some of these characters, especially the ones that are most central to the story, have, are confronted with those faults and have mm-hmm. to try to overcome them. And, um, you know, I think about in the last book where Ron, who's a rash person, too often, you know, he lets his emotions get the best of him. And he does in the seventh book, and he walks away for a while from the group. And uh, he's confronted with that fault. And he knows it almost immediately, I think, when he leaves. Mm-hmm. And he eventually has to come back and make it right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like that kind of thing that it's able to, you may not get it, you know, in every book in the series, right, where every character is confronting all of those faults all the time. But I think uh, in the in the grand scheme of things, that's that's the heart of the series and where they're um, where Rowling's going with it. I think. Mm-hmm. So I also think you know these are fairly simple, but the just the deep value of truth and loyalty mm-hmm. and steadfastness. You know, when everybody is against Harry almost every book it seems, <laughs> right. for whatever re- one reason or the other, you know, but then it always comes back, you know, usually comes back. Harry was telling the truth and, you know, this is really what's been going on this whole time. And we admire him because he held to it even when everybody was against him and every, you know, he had every reason to not like be as adamant about what he knew to be true. Mm. And, you know, obviously we see, correlations in the Christian faith there and quite frankly just virtues that we celebrate mm. which is like truth and patience and, and steadfastness mm. mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that we see Harry grow his um, yeah his uh, maybe discernment or uh, morality muscles in that um, I mean, this is the biggest spoiler of all time but yeah. <laughs> all the way until I was going to say somebody's got to say it to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Better you than me. (laughs) We have several warnings. (laughs) So all the way up to the very end where he gives his life for um, the rest of the people. He's, you know, effectively saving the world from Voldemort when he willingly um, lays down his life uh, for his friends and for people he doesn't even know. Um, And so anyway. I, yeah. I love that we see that, you know, messianic mm-hmm. theme there and that mm-hmm. uh, ultimately he does, even though it's really difficult, he does um, what is good for everyone else. Mm. And well, such a contrast with Voldemort to right? Voldemort, who yeah. is uh, defined by his desire not to die, right? And his unwillingness to give his life for anyone. And Harry's got to come to the realization as a 
a basically 17, 18 year old kids that this is the way um, to give my life um, for uh, other people. And um, that's just a beautiful contrast that's at the heart of the gospel, I think. Um, greater love has no one than mm -hmm. they lay down their life for their brother, right? Um, so I'm appreciative of that. Well, and I'm maybe like zooming out just a smidge, but still very much in the vein of talking about that because it's part of the theme that leads up to Harry sacrificing himself is over and over, it's all about the power of love mm -hmm. and, um, and what love really does and how powerful it is and how, you know, the powers in the darkness don't appreciate what love can really do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, we believe God is love. Mm -hmm. That's what scripture says. And so really recognizing, no, like, even if, like you referenced earlier, you know, the world does seem so dark and so evil at times. And, and that's part of why we identify with this series, but also sometimes we, we underestimate and we, um, undervalue just how powerful God really is and how powerful love really can be. And we don't let it do what it's supposed to do, you know, mm. and we try to control things in different ways. And so I think that's just, you know, yet another theme that over and over, you know, and because they, they're always saying, oh, is it about love again? Love, <laughs> right. you know, and uh, dismissive. And I think, you know, Dumbledore's the one who keeps beating the drum. Like, yes, mm -hmm. yes, it is. Right. <laughs> it is about love. And nobody is giving it, you know, what it deserves. And I, I, what I appreciate about it, Kim, is that um, in, in contrast to some other things that I've encountered in the, in the world, in the media world, with that talk about love, is that love in Harry Potter is always connected mm -hmm. to life. And some, so often love is connected to things that are fleeting or, uh, you know, they're not, they're not satisfying ultimately, right? Um, but in this, in this series, it's always connected to life. And there are so many ways in which love shows up on the scene to protect life, to preserve life. Mm. He dies at the end because he loves, right? And it's to give life to other people mm. um, is the idea. And so I just... That's that's where I think it's really like at the heart of the story. Like this is deeply Christian, this idea, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I want to celebrate that where I see it. You know? Yeah, and it also is tied to action, right? It's not mm. just that he says that he loves the people; he goes. He right. like has to take himself to the forest to die, and uh, yeah, and examples that you named, you know, like you see the Weasleys loving Harry, you know, like when they hardly even know him, they demonstrate affection and they care yeah. for him and stuff. There's all of this outward signs of that um, inward love that uh, makes all the difference. So I, I just want to throw this in here because we're just talking now. So um, I think the one, the, for me, the two chapters that are the most kind of overwhelming in the whole series are connected to this theme, but in a kind of different way. Um, and they're, they come, one comes at the end, near the end of chapter of book four, and one comes near the end of book seven. And it's when um, Harry is visited by people who are dead. Mm -hmm. um, and in both cases, um, 
there's something really profound that's getting ready to take place in the, I mean, he's going to die in both cases. Um, that's what's at least what it looks like is going to happen and does happen in book seven. But um, these people show up and it's people that are in his life or that were in his life at some point in the past. And, um, but they've since passed on for a variety of reasons, including his mother and his father. And I appreciate the way in which love extends backwards and that this always makes me think about um, the idea in Hebrews that there's a great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. that's, that's exactly what I was just thinking. That's mm -hmm. watching. Um, and that's, that's I, the idea that those who've gone before us do are still invested in where this is going, right? And, um, and this is dramatized so beautifully um, in those two chapters where they, they, they come and they say, uh, things like uh, you can do it and keep on and stay strong and they want him to persevere and it, they encourage him that he is doing the right thing and so you know I'm a historian um, <laughs> in my in so that my feels really good <laughs> so, uh, I love the past and I love the people mm. of the past and I love the encouragement that that I receive from the past and so to see this dramatized in such a beautiful way um, you know I can't read those chapters out loud uh, at one go. They're, my kids are always like, you know, dad, dad's crying again, you yeah. know, or whatever, <laughs> because it's so beautiful. Um, yeah. And it's just such a great theme that's made uh, tangible. And uh, so I love the way that love kind of looks backward like that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but the end of book four is, if you remember, that's the one I was up until two o'clock reading. <laughs> he was, you know, yes. I think Voldemort had been reborn, and it was about midnight, and I was like, what is going right. on? Right, <laughs> Can't stop now. Because it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other values you want to highlight, Casey? Um, I was thinking of uh, earlier, John, when you were talking about um, love being associated with life, I was thinking of how Harry values, um, obviously in this book, there's a lot of magical creatures. So he seems to value all kinds of life, even when people think uh, wizards are the best or only pure bloods are the best. Um, yeah, people with only wizard parents and their lineage mm. and stuff. And so I was thinking of um, the emphasis that Harry and really Hermione encourages him in this, the emphasis that they put on um, treating every living thing with dignity and with respect. You see that with the house elves or, you yeah. know, like with any of the um, other magical creatures. But I think that that's something too that sets them apart from the, uh, you know, the Ministry of Magic that you were mentioned mm -hmm. gets corrupt. I love those people, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. It's, yeah. A, it's a great theme. Um, there is a there's a consistent care for those who are less than mm -hmm. you know, um, at least in the eyes of the the majority world, whatever that is, and who they consider to be less than. They're not actually right. These are valuable creatures in their own right, um, and I think that extends to even to some of the other kids who are within the 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 castle, right? So like characters like Luna or Neville, or yeah. that everybody else kind of just kind of looks askance at or makes fun of or whatever. Um, they're, they're loved well, you know, by the court group and um, brought along. So it's extended in all those directions. Yeah. One final um, theme, and it, it, it links to what we were talking about with life and love. But I think, I think it's also interesting how she explores all of that. You see her exploring it through Harry and Hermione and, you know, all of the quote unquote good good characters and but you also see her exploring it through particularly Voldemort mm. and even Snape to a to a degree 
the teacher who may be good, may not be good. They don't really know until the absolute very end. And um, because, like you said, like he was always afraid of death. Mm-hmm. And like that was the that was the absolute worst thing that could that could occur. And you know, Dumbledore being like, "No, there are a lot worse things that could happen than death." Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and so I just think that that's interesting too because you do get a lot of exploration on darker themes, but not in a not again to our <laughs> the earliest part of our conversation to a glorifying extent, right? But to an extent of. Like, this is what it looks like on the other side. This is what it looks like when you don't value life. This is what it looks like when you are afraid mm-hmm. of death. And, and that is the absolute worst thing, you know. And you think that, that that this is all that there really is, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was an interesting, again, theme all the way through as well. Well, our time is up. And I have thoroughly enjoyed Harry Pottering. I'm not sure I ever wanted to fully raise this flag this broadly, but here it is. And <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been fun yes. talking about it and just reflecting theologically on it. So thank you, John, for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Glad glad to be here. Absolutely. And we just want to thank you for listening. And we ask you that you would join us next time when we discuss issues of God and culture. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.